are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, award-winning volunteer for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. Today is May 7th, 2023, and this is episode 224 of Lighthearted. In a few minutes, we're going to listen to a conversation with three longtime volunteers of the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association. First, welcome back to New Hampshire, Cindy. Well, thanks. It's great to be back and nice to record in person again. Yeah, at the famous uh, Bluefish Boulevard recording studios here in Portsmouth. Uh, Regular listeners to this podcast might recall that you've lived here on the New Hampshire seacoast for many years, Mm -hmm. but you recently spent some time with your mother in Arizona. And you just recently returned here to Portsmouth, right? That's right. Uh, It is recent. So I'm still settling in. Uh, You know, lots of change, which has been pretty stressful. But I'm definitely more excited than anxious now. Uh, The best part is, even though it feels like I'm starting over in many ways, I'm back. uh, I'm back here in a very familiar place that that I really love. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, it's good to have you back. And you're here. You're here in time for the uh, tours at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse this year. But we're waiting to find out when our walkway is going to be rebuilt. So we'll see what happens with that. That's right. But I'm ready. I'm ready to start volunteering at the lighthouse when we can. Excellent. Excellent. So let's get right to today's interview. As I mentioned, we'll be talking with three very dedicated volunteers of the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association, also known as GLICA, uh, which is one of the oldest and largest lighthouse organizations in the country. Cindy, please help me tell everyone about Glicka and our guests. Sure, Jeremy. The idea for the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association, or Glicka, was born at a gathering back in 1981 at Gross Point Lighthouse in Illinois, and in the following year, the first informal meeting was held in Michigan. The organization was officially launched in 1983, and it's going strong 40 years later, remaining dedicated to the restoration and preservation of Great Lakes lighthouses. In 1986, the Coast Guard granted a license to Glicka to restore the 1873 St. Helene Island Light Station on Lake Michigan, and work on the property began before the end of the decade. The light station is now owned by Glicka, and volunteers live on the island during the summer, carrying out a variety of preservation projects. Glicka also cares for the Sheboygan River Front Range Light in Sheboygan, Michigan. Wayne Sapolsky is a Great Lakes Lighthouse author, photographer, and a tireless volunteer for Glicka. He's the organization's resident historian. He's also the author of two books and many articles on Great Lakes lighthouses. Wayne is a graduate of the Great Lakes Maritime Academy in Traverse City, Michigan. Due to the economic recession in the early 1980s, his plans for a long career as a Great Lakes pilot were cut short after just four years when he was laid off. He went into the medical field and became a registered respiratory therapist working in cardiopulmonary medicine. Traveling to photograph lighthouses became Wayne's mental health therapy. One of his claims to fame is that he has physically visited all 360 lighthouses on the Great Lakes on both the U.S. and Canadian sides. Wow. Mark and Michelle Vandervelde have been involved with St. Helene Island Light Station as volunteers for well over 20 years. Michelle worked as a teacher for many years and started a unit of study on Great Lakes lighthouses. In 2005, she received an Odyssey Award from the Michigan governor as an outstanding history educator. Mark is the current co-president of Glicka. 
In 2019, Mark and Michelle received the Richard L. Mole Award for Excellence in Volunteerism for the countless hours they have contributed in support of Glicka activities. Wayne Sapolsky also received the same award that year. I've had some correspondence with Wayne Sapolsky over the years and it was great to have the chance to speak with them for the podcast. Along with Michelle and Mark Vandervelde, we got together on Zoom last week. So let's listen to our conversation now. I'm speaking uh, this afternoon with three people extremely uh, involved uh, for quite a few years with the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association. I am speaking with Wayne Sapolsky, a longtime uh, volunteer, uh, author, and so forth for the uh, association, and with Mark and Michelle Vandervelde, who are longtime volunteers, especially with St. Helena Island Light Station, and we're going to be talking quite a bit about that today. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Wayne and Mark and Michelle, for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, let me start with, with you, Wayne, before we get into discussing uh, particulars about the, the lighthouses. Uh, do people often refer to the organization Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association as Glicka? Am I right about that? That is correct. Okay, so I'm going to refer to it as Glicka from now on, rather than saying the full name of the organization every time, because that gets a little cumbersome. So people will know what I'm talking about when I say Glicka. So uh, Wayne, uh, to talk about your background a little bit, you graduated from the Great Lakes Maritime Academy, I believe. But I understand you actually spent most of your life uh, working, most of your career, most of your working career in the medical field. Do I have that right? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. My interest in uh, ships and shipping goes back to childhood. I grew up in a community just south of Detroit that was in close proximity to the Detroit River. And uh, I was always mesmerized by the big freighters that were going by. Detroit River is still an, an important international waterway. And you have to remember that I come from a family with a long history of absolutely no interest whatsoever in ships, boats, the water being by the water. So I, you know, I often joke with my friends that uh, somewhere my parents took the wrong kid home from the hospital. So I don't know what happened with my fascination with uh, with ships and, and uh, maritime history. So I wanted the adventure. I wanted the career. I wanted to work and live aboard a ship. And it's a very unique experience. It's hard to explain the dynamics involved unless you actually experience it. There are upsides and there are downsides. The upsides is the rewards of, of successfully uh, completing voyages. The downside is you're away from home for months at a time. So it's difficult to have a family life. I did that for a number of years. The ships on the Great Lakes, they don't stop for anything. They stop. They, stay, they start at spring, fit out usually at the, uh, actually a lot of the ships are out already. Because it depends on the level of ice that occurred on the Great Lakes. Um, by, for sure, they're out by the end of March. And they'll run right up until the lakes freeze over again in January, February next year. So they're constantly on the move. The only reason they stop for any reason is to load, unload, or uh, take on fuel. Mm-hmm. Even personnel changes, they're often done on the move with uh, sh- smaller boats coming out from the uh, shoreline and then the uh, crew jumping up and off via Jacob's ladders. Uh, that career, unfortunately, didn't pan out for me because of uh, a, a large, uh, a severe economic recession in the early 1980s. Uh, it's all seniority based, and I didn't have enough, and so I got laid off. And um, it was six years before they tried to call me back. By which time I had moved on and established myself in uh, cardiopulmonary medicine. You know, 
once you get used to living ashore again, <laughs> it's hard to give up. You're warm, you're dry, you're not out in the cold and the wind and the rain. You had good pay and good benefits, so I didn't go back. Yeah. I what got was the your... urge every spring to go back. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, every spring, every spring that urge would be, oh, man, I just got to chuck this and go back sailing. But, you know, when you got to get family obligations, it's hard to, it's really hard to do that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, but you've maintained uh, certainly a tie to uh, maritime subjects, obviously, with yes, lighthouses. I'm, in, I'm, involved, I'm involved in a number of uh, uh, Great Lakes Maritime Museums and Historical Societies. I'm on the board of the Association for Great Lakes Maritime History, which is an mm-hmm. umbrella organization for maritime museums, libraries, archives, research facilities all around the Great Lakes, including Canada. And uh, I'm involved with uh, the International Shipmasters Association here in Detroit. The ISMA is a fraternal organization consisting of past and current professional mariners. They hold, they hold their meetings in the off-season here on the Great Lakes. The last meeting was just a week or so ago uh, before the active members go back out sailing again. And I guess it's kind of obvious uh, being interested in maritime history and all its uh, facets, but is there anything particular that drew you to lighthouses? You know, when I was sailing, uh, I was a Great Lakes, a federally federally licensed through the U.S. Coast Guard Great Lakes pilot. Mm -hmm. Piloting is the most precise form of navigation. The, The final test for the Coast Guard is they give you five blank charts, five or six blank charts of the St. Mary's River, the Detroit River, uh, each of the Great Lakes, and you have to fill in everything. I mean, every bay, every point of land, every railroad bridge, every underwater cable, every blighted aid to navigation, all the courses, all the distances, they allocate seven days to take the test. But what got me interested in lighthouses was travel photography, actually, which was a form of mental therapy for me, working in uh, medical intensive care units my entire career. And after I got a job and got some money, I started traveling to the East Coast, to the West Coast, and the Gulf Coast, and uh, over to Europe. And after I had been to all those places, I finally realized, man, this Great Lakes region is unique, and it is beautiful. What am I doing? So I took my first lighthouse picture on the Great Lakes in 1989 and haven't stopped since. Uh, when I was working on the freighters, didn't pay any attention to lighthouses whatsoever. To me, they were they were aids in navigation and nothing more. And I wish now looking back, I had paid more attention because some of them have changed significantly over the years in terms of being restored. That's how that started. Now, in terms of the history, uh, like Terry Pepper, who I'm sure we're going to talk about later, as I started doing this traveling, I realized I was coming upon a lot of information that was just plain wrong. It's like, how can this be so wrong? And so uh, I, that's what got me delving into the uh, archives and the histories. Unlike many lighthouse historians or historians, period, who, they, who often start with the records and then go look for photographs to illustrate their writings. I have always done things backwards completely. My interest has always started with the photographic record and then going in to delve into this scene. What is it exactly I'm looking at? What time of period is this? Mm-hmm. Because traveling around the Great Lakes, uh, I go to places and some have changed not at all in 150 years. And some have changed dramatically. And it always, I always found it amusing when I would take a photograph of a particular location 
and I'd go back in the archives and find uh, the same picture from the same vantage point that somebody took in 1880. It's like, wow, this is this is remarkable. Yeah. And so, you know, in, so in terms of pursuing the history, uh, I've, I've visited over 80 different national and regional archives here on the Great Lakes, pulling out those digital those, those images. I, I listened to your interview a, a while back, and it kind of irritates me now that a lot of these collections have been digitized. So all this travel to the national archives and to uh, <laughs> to all these regional centers, the U.S. Coast Guard Historian's Office would not have been necessary because a lot of those records are online now. This is very true, but there are still a lot of local collections that are not digitized. For sure. That is very true. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, the research has certainly uh, changed quite a bit over the years. Research, like you said, can be extremely frustrating because there is so much conflicting information out there and trying to ferret out what is true and what is not true is not always easy. I couldn't agree with you more. So going back to your, your own photography, I think you're the only person or at least one of certainly very few who've uh, photographed every lighthouse on the Great Lakes, right? So I have a two-part question for you. That's we're talking about both the U.S. side and the Canadian side, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, how many lighthouses are we talking about, and uh, how long did it take you to do that? We're talking about 360 sites, not, uh, not all of which are, uh, some of them are ruins, complete ruins. It took me nine years. Uh, I say it took me nine years, two and a half vehicles, and more money than I care to think about. Uh, two of those vehicles were what I called my off-road Thunderbirds. Those cars were taken <laughs> down roads where they should have never gone mm -hmm. and made it back out again. <laughs> yeah. In terms of being the only person, um, uh, I do not do aerial photography. So I insist uh, in order to know a site and to be able to write about a site, you have to physically experience it. So I want to go there and walk around the location to see what is what. Is what and so when I go back and read about it, things make sense. Also, when I look at photographs that people send me, can you identify where this is and from about what time period it is? Having physically been there, I can tell you if it's the correct, you know, the what location or what angle the photographer took his picture from. Mm -hmm. In terms of other people, there is a great, a well-known Great Lakes uh, lighthouse historian on the Canadian side of the Great Lakes named Larry Wright, who was on our board of directors for many years. Larry and I remain close, good friends. Uh, in fact, he will be coming to uh, Mackinac City in August to participate in our uh, festivities on August 18th and 19th. Mm -hmm. uh, Larry has been to most of the lighthouses physically. He's flown over a couple. And close on my heels, I made a new friend last year from Indiana who is nipping at my heels in terms of completing the same quest. Hmm. And I'll tell you, he's the best kind of friend because he has his own boat and he trailers it all over the Great Lakes <laughs> and I'm invited. Can you tell us who that is? His name is John Clay. Okay. I don't know him. And he's reti he's retired uh, uh, automobile mechanic from uh, Indiana. Mm -hmm. He came to one of my presentations last year. We hit it off immediately. And I have to hand it to him for the bravery in terms of going to these places way offshore, sometimes by himself in a small boat. But he's yeah. pulled it off. And uh, I went out a couple rides with him last year, and boy, things went really well. Yeah. I have never personally owned a boat because I don't want to take care of a boat. So my visiting offshore light stations is always involved, depending on how far offshore they are, some you know logistical planning sometimes four months in advance to find somebody who's willing to go, who's willing to go on short notice so I can dictate the weather conditions, 
and who was not afraid to put his boat up on the beach because in most places on the Great Lakes, the docks are long gone because the ice took them out. Mm-hmm. I have been up to my neck, literally in water, getting on and off boats with my camera bag above my head to, to get some of these to get some of these places. Wow. And it's like, you know, I, t- I get wet. No problem. The camera gets wet, trips over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's dedication for you. I've, uh, I've similar experiences, but I, I can't say I've ever been up to my neck, uh, in water getting onto a lighthouse. I've well, certainly it, jumped it, out. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't planned as one of those things where a storm came up, we were on the beach and we were having, we just could not get the boat back into the lake because of the surf. So we had to walk it out. Yeah. And, uh, it was, it was dicey, but we pulled it off. <laughs> wow. Um, I've Michelle had quite and, a few of those dicey experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So Michelle and Mark, I want to get to you in a moment, but, but Wayne, you've uh, written a couple of books, right? Uh, first uh, you wrote, well, actually I think your first book was uh, you were co-author of Great Lakes Lighthouses, American and Canadian, right? And then That's you wrote correct. the book Lighthouses of Lake Michigan, Past and Present, uh, which uh, I was, I, I have both books and when I looked on Amazon, it let me know that I bought uh, Lighthouses of Lake Michigan in 2004. So I've had it a while. You've had a couple more decades of experience uh, since those. Any thoughts of writing another book? Well, in the meantime, I've written dozens of articles for the Beacon, which is the quarterly publication of the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association. Mm-hmm. I tell you, with those two books, it boggles my mind when I think there are over 70,000 copies of those two books out there floating around. It just, uh, that to me is just an incredible number. I probably nothing that it's as far as James Michener would be concerned, you know, or some other famous author, but I'm currently looking for a publisher. I have a work in progress. That's going to be the history of the St. Lights of the St. Mary's river. Mm. And then uh, following that, something I should have done years ago will be the history of the lights of the Detroit river, Lake St. Clair and the St. Clair river. Mm-hmm. And those are really tough to research uh, because the nomenclature is so confusing unless you're intimately familiar with the geography of the area. And, uh, and I know it's a lot of curiosity about those particular lights and their histories. The, the, the St. Mary's River is beautiful. I've, tri- I've, I've traveled it numerous times. I narrated cruises on the St. Mary's River for the better part of a decade for another lighthouse group called the Detour Reef Lighthouse Preservation Society. Uh, the St. Mary's, I mean, the Detroit River is, is, was literally my own backyard. So I, that's something I really need to accomplish. I'm looking for a publisher. If you have ideas. Let's uh, put that thought on the back burner. Let's discuss that. I may have some ideas about that. But um, I look forward to those those books, certainly. And I, uh, again, I'll get to Michelle and Mark in a moment. But to kind of lead into that, uh, Wayne, can you give a little background on how Glicka got involved with the St. Helena and that is how you pronounce it, Helena, right? St. Helena, yeah. Yeah, just want to be sure. A lot of people say St. Helene. Most people say St. Helene, yeah, but it looks I, like St. Helena. I think some people might think it's Helena, but St. Saint Helena Island Light Station. The Glicker got involved in the 80s, and how, how did that come about? Well, uh, the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association formed in 1983 after some informal meetings by former lightkeepers, their spouses, and their offspring. And they were concerned that the, that part of history on the Great Lakes was being lost because, you know, the automation process on the Great Lakes uh, on the U.S. side was completed in 1983. And the Canadians completed their automation process in 1991. 
Uh, how Dick Mole got involved with it, I'm not certain, but he was Glicka's second vice president, second president starting in 1985, and he held the position for 27 years. Mm-hmm. And in order to gain experience in historic preservation and to lend some credibility to the group, they were looking for a light station to work on. Uh, Dick became aware that St. Helene was going to be accessed. And he applied for, and they got a 30-year lease to start restoration efforts out at St. Helene. And this was no mean feat because St. Helene is about two miles offshore from the uh, from the upper peninsula of Michigan and a good six miles due west of the Mackinac Bridge, the western straits of Mackinac. And the lighthouse was a complete ruin. I mean, you could... Most of the roof was gone. The windows are gone. The doors are gone. Everything of value that had been there had been stripped away long ago. The lantern room was missing. And um, in fact, if you go out to the lighthouse today, somewhere a long time, uh, a, a camper set fire, made a fire on the floor of the upstairs bedroom, and it burnt through to the to the kitchen down below. And it's a miracle the whole lighthouse didn't go up right then and there. Um, but that's how Glicka got involved with restoring St. Helene Island Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Okay. From now on, I'll say St. Helene, the way you, you pronounce it. There's so many pronunciations. Oh, that's true all over the country, but it seems to be especially true in Michigan, where you have to be a local person to know how, how it's pronounced locally. Uh, yeah, of, that's, that, well, that's, that's everywhere in the United States. That's not just uh, in Michigan. Yeah. Seem to be some, I don't know. I just keep running to so many of them in, in, in Michigan, but so St. Helene Island. Uh, so Mark and Michelle, thank you for being patient. Uh, and uh, I want to ask you some questions, of course. Uh, first of all, how did you first get involved as volunteers for the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association? Either of you can start on that. Well, I'm the one that started it all, is I got frustrated in teaching in 1996. I was using a social studies book that I used when I was in school and said, this is enough. And lighthouses were booming then, so I started researching, studying up on it, dial-up internet, bought books, read them, bought Wayne's book, read it, and started thinking this is a new way I can start generating interest in social studies and in history of Michigan. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. And all my students had to research and come up with a project and a report. And one of their things they had to do was write a letter or make a contact by a phone call or something. And one of my students was researching St. Helene and the number to call was Dick Moore. So I got on the phone, introduced my student, student rather letter, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And Dick said, well, I'm going to be up in that area or over in that area in two weeks. How about if I stop by? So he stopped by my classroom, spoke for a time, and um, and it was all over. He was admiring their little projects and the things that we did. And he said, have you heard about our educator workshop on St. Helene? And I'm like, no. He said, you will be there. <laughs> and I'm going, okay, when? He said, August, first week of August, you will be there. Well, when Dick talks, you will be there. I was there. And I fell in love with the place and came home and begged to go back the next year as one of the staff members, which I did. 
all the way up to 2012 when the educator workshop ceased due to the fact of the Michigan curriculum and the cost involved for educators to come out. Mm-hmm. Well, by 1999, three years later, I finally got my two kids. My daughter was eight, my son was six, and my husband to go out. And we did a trial night with Dick Mall and his wife and Marianne Moore and the four of us to see how the kids would do because they were the first young ones that Galuka ever took. I don't know about the Boy Scout troops. And so they asked Mark, what could he do? And yeah, he said, they asked me, they said, well, what can you do? And I said, well, what do you need done? They said, we need screens <laughs> made. Screens made for the basement windows. Like, well, I can make screens. And so I made four screens. They're still in the windows today. And, and you know, I was in after that because they were like, oh, wow, you got you to gotta help here. So that's how I got started. So, uh-huh. and then we just progressed from one night to three nights, three nights to a week and, and the Kids, you know, enjoyed it, loved it. You know, you kind of step back in nature, especially now, you know, with so much technology, there's still technology, but it's not, you know, so prevalent there. And, and uh, yeah, we fell in love with it. And that was our, our summer vacation, you know, basically revolved around that. So, yeah. And then the kids came out with me and we did the educator workshop also. So they uh-huh. joined in all the time for that up until high school sports pulled them away. Mm-hmm. And then they took a break, but now as adults, they come back. Yep. Yeah. Well, everybody, every lighthouse organization needs people like you, Mark, who know how to make things and fix things. And it's something I have no no talent for whatsoever. So I'm always in awe of people who know how to, know how to do that stuff. Uh, so again, your your children were involved as well. So it was really a family thing over the years, right? Right. Can you uh, explain basically how the how the volunteer program works there at uh, St. Helene Island? Basically, they either contact the office or um, they apply online. And then once I get the application, we schedule a time that would work out. They can pick from the openings that are available. And then... Once they have their date, then it's $75 per person per night this year. Mm -hmm. And we just promote basically a working community where everyone helps out with dishes and cooking. We haul water because we do not have running water there. Our running water is when you pump. And we have general upkeep of the buildings, you know, like your house. You've got to clean it. You've got to paint. You've got to do various jobs. Mm-hmm. And then we do offer jobs that are called restoration work that meet the individual needs. And this year, we have um, construction being done on the lantern itself and possibly part of the tower. And we are going to take on the areas that we can reach and handle. So it's basically the inside and maybe a little bit on the outside, too. Mm-hmm. But we have to scrape all the paint off, repaint it. And so those will be two major jobs that have to get done. We've got organizing and cleaning, as well as some building projects this year that our keepers can volunteer to help out with. These days, like this coming season, how, how much of the season are you, the two of you, actually out on the island? Well, we, well, we're, this, this is a unique year too, but um, usually from mid-June to mid-August. And then we we uh, 
Wayne's Wayne's wife has a book club that she brings out, and so that gives us a, a, a reprieve of a few, you know, three or four nights. So, but I think we've got a stretch of twenty nine days or something this year where we're going to be there. So, well, quite a bit, quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we should say that uh, with the, you know, you are there is a cost involved with volunteering, but that includes uh, all your um, your lodging, your food. It's it's an inclusive price, so it's you know, a very good deal Definitely. For, a, for a vacation. But like we said, we do promote that community living. And so you do, you do help out. So. Sure. No, it's definitely a good deal. Uh, how long typically do volunteers stay out there? The ones who are paying per, per night to be out there, they probably stay longer than one night, right? Correct. Yeah. It's, um, we have at a Sunday to Thursday, which gives you four nights, mm-hmm. or Thursday to Sunday, that gives you three nights yeah. for our sessions. And you can stay two sessions, 10 sessions, one session. If something happens that we can't, you know, our dates aren't exact, we can always get them off or go pick them up earlier or later, too. We, we modify it, just depends. Um, we're pretty flexible, pretty flexible. Let me ask you a really broad question here, and you can take it anywhere you want, but uh, can you tell me any unusual, memorable experiences you've had over the years as volunteers? Anything that that pops into mind when I ask that? Probably a lot of experiences. I remember once uh, in 2019, we had a storm in the evening during the hours, approximately 2 a.m. or something like that. And man, was it blowing. And uh, it was memorable to me because... Uh, the damage that, that we woke up to was just just amazing. So you know you got to respect uh, respect Lake Michigan because it could really really do it. You know the grill was blown away. The dock had God must have had four four yards of gravel on it. And it actually damaged our our crib dock that year. Uh, lifted it up and uh, now it has to be totally repaired, removed and repaired. And so. Um, but the, the, the sad part was it was so dark and stormy you couldn't see you know what was going on it was just kind of lived in the in the wind you know sound and it was like man this is this is not good but there's a reason why the lighthouse has been there for 150 years so you don't worry too much about that but well, people don't realize uh, how uh, I think a lot of people aren't uh, you know haven't spent time around the Great Lakes don't know how rough those lakes can get uh, oh, yeah. and yeah um, I've. Uh, I don't have a tremendous amount of experience with the Great Lakes, but I've certainly seen some very rough water and seen people surfing on the lakes, which I yeah. had never thought about until recent years. But I yep. think it's, it's yep. fairly that's common. A, that's a big deal. Especially yeah. even, in the, even in the winter, they're out there. It's like pretty crazy. The other unusual experiences, we were coming off one, one of our times that we're out there. We usually went out the 4th of July week. And Marianne Moore tells us, who was the head keeper at the time, um, yeah, we have shingles coming over because they're going to redo the roof. We had a grant that cedar, allowed the cedar shaped shingles to be put on. So oh. we're like, okay, well, you know, there's a lot of shingles, but you didn't really know how many. And our whole crib dock was lined up with shingles that we had to have. Well, they took from their vehicle to the boat. The big boat brought it out from the big boat. You have to put it into a little boat, the Zodiac. From there, you have to get it onto the dock. Well, the dock was quite high that year because the water level was really low in 2004. And so you had to lift it way above your head. Then you had to put them into wheelbarrows. 
and hauling to the various locations around the lighthouse. Well, those shingle bundles were 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. I weigh 94. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was tough carrying three of those in your wheelbarrow and stuff. Uh, so yeah, we yeah. didn't work out. We were drenched and we were exhausted on our way home. Well, one of my best memories were in my first couple of years there is in 1996, my first year, sitting on the assistant keeper's steps. It was before the boathouse was rebuilt. Mm-hmm. And you could just see the abundance of stars, the moon, the shooting mm-hmm. stars, the lights flash, the light flashing itself. Freighters would be all lit up and they'd go by. Now we even get cruise ships all the time. I remember that one year our group stayed out to about 4 a.m. and had to get up and ready to go at 7, but we survived. It was just so gorgeous. That sounds amazing. Wow, what an experience. Let me ask, and this is a question for any of the three of you, or, or all three of you. Uh, this year is the 150th anniversary of the St. Helene Island Light Station. Any special events planned to uh, commemorate that? Um, yeah, we've got um, a couple. Well, uh, right, you mentioned the dates Wayne did already, 18th and 19th of August. So on the 18th of August in Mackinac City, uh, Wayne is speaking, and he mentioned Larry Wright is also speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to um, celebrate the uh, past keepers. There's two of our, our St. Helene keepers in the Mackinac City uh, Cemetery. And so we're uh, putting a, a U.S. Lighthouse Service uh memorial flag bearing stake in the ground uh, that'll start the uh, events on that friday um, we have a dinner um, at the catholic church uh, silent auction 50 50 raffle larry like i mentioned larry and, and wayne are speaking michelle and i are going to do uh, just a sort of a before and after pictures of, of the lighthouse and then um, Glicka also owns a Sheboygan Front Range Light in Sheboygan, Michigan. And so on Saturday, we're having uh, an open house there. And we've uh, contracted the um, Nautical North Family Adventures to do a uh, breakfast cruise and, and, and an hors d'oeuvre cruise. Um, well, we'll go out into Lake Huron and See, uh, well, you'll go past the, the front range light and then um, see some shipwreck items and you're in a glass bottom boat. You're in a glass bottom boat. So, mm. and then, like I said, the, the lighthouse will be open for tours. And we just found out that one of the daughters of the of one of the past keepers will be there reminiscing on her life at the lighthouse uh, when she was growing up. That's great. That's great. So this uh, the schedule of events. This is is it on the uh, Glico website uh, for people. It is. Yep. org. Yeah. Again, that's G L L K A, G L L K A dot dot org. And is there a Facebook page also for Glico? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a very active Facebook page that mm-hmm. uh, started up in 2009 as a supplement to the. Uh, quarterly publication to the Beacon, and uh, I'm the administrator of the page. So I use it to post Great Lakes Lighthouse news as it comes up, mm-hmm. things pertaining not just to the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association. And uh, basically, it's a marketing tool to keep us before the general public and to let them know that there's a lighthouse restoration effort going on all around the Great Lakes. After all these years, 
a lot of good things have happened on the Great Lakes in terms of lighthouse restoration. And uh, I can think of offhand right now, 12 ongoing restoration projects that are uh, just wonderful and a lot of good people involved. Mm-hmm. What Michelle and Mark didn't mention is that in terms of visiting St. Helene, they also have, we also have, uh, I think, 12 scheduled this year, starting June 26th. We used to call them luncheons at the Lighthouse, but now we call it the St. Helene Experience. And so uh, those will be people who come out for day trips from mm-hmm. Mackinac City and get a tour of the facility, which I'm sure Mark and Michelle are, will be conducting if they're there. Next we one. also have uh, a St. Mary's River cruise planned for, I want to say, August 27th through the 29th. That's going to be taking place. Uh, and that's going to be start and stop in uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. Wow. Sounds like a full season. A lot of, a lot of good stuff happening. So uh, you've mentioned the Beacon a few times, the newsletter. I just want to clarify, is that something that members of Glicka get? Yes. Yes, yeah. it gets there. They get it. Uh, during the pandemic, it went to an all-digital format, but you uh, members can pay an extra 30 bucks or something like that. I forget. For, uh, that's what I do to get an uh, actual paper copy now mailed mm-hmm. out to your home. Yeah. I know some people prefer the digital version. Some people prefer the, the printed version. We also have a face, another Facebook page called the St. Helene Island Light Station. Okay. That's good to know. That's so, the one I update when yeah. we're out there, or if I see stuff during the winter or whatever. So that, that's sort of a like a daily blog, sort of a what what, what happened today at the lighthouse. Great, yeah. So again, uh, Saint Hel- Helene, as you're pronouncing it, is actually spelled H E L E N A. In case people are doing a, a search on Facebook for that for that page. So I'd like to just take a couple of minutes and talk about uh, some people who've been involved with Glicka over the years. And one I want to ask you about is your your wife, Wayne, Jennifer yes. Trigembo. Is that how she pronounces her yeah, name? Jennifer Trigembo. Yeah. Uh, I understand she has kind of a lighthouse and Coast Guard connection in her family. And also she's... Well, she does. She um, yeah. Her father was a career Coast Guardsman. Uh, he entered the Coast Guard. He was 18 years old, retired after 20 years at age 38. Mm-hmm. He started out on the Great Lakes, and he also served in Alaska and ended his career at Cape May, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And his first lighthouse assignment at age 18 was Rock of Ages Lighthouse at the western edge of Isle Royale, way up on Lake Superior. He was a youper. People from the UP are referred to locally as youpers. And mm-hmm. he was from the UP. Jennifer's whole family is from the UP. And uh, he used to joke that he wanted to know who he pissed off to get that assignment you know, at age 18, that's not somewhere where a really young man uh, wants to be stationed. Uh, but that was his <laughs> yeah. first light station. That was his first his first assignment. Wow. And he went, you know, years ago, there was a, name, uh, a documentarian by the name of John Grant who did a special on uh, lighthouses of the Great Lakes. Uh, the first interview in that series was Jennifer's father, and they took him back out to, to Rock of Ages after 50 years being away and it was really quite moving to watch there it was a book series it was a book and a and a video series together and they were walking through and uh he would point well this is where the radio was and this is where this was and this is what we used to do here and as he's leaving the lighthouse he says well goodbye says i know you'll still be standing in 50 years i'm not so sure about me Mm -hmm. it was really kind of poignant at that point to see uh you know him now in his 
80s, visiting his old first assignment. That's great. I the series you're talking about, I believe, was Legendary Lighthouses. That was yeah, on PBS. Legendary Lighthouses. I yeah, I, the name of it. Yeah, I actually, as actually, I mentioned to you before we started the interview here, I worked for a number of years as an archivist at WGBH Public TV in Boston, and they were involved in the production of that series. And I, I had a meeting with John Grant uh, when that was in the work. Somebody told him that I was really into lighthouses, so uh, he and I sat down and. And talked about it. That was a lot of fun being peripherally involved in that in that series. But it's an excellent series. I think it's still available if people want to look that up. Mm-hmm. Well, Jennifer was born when he was stationed at Sand um, Point Lighthouse in Escanaba. Mm-hmm. Her sister was born when he was stationed at Grand Traps Lighthouse in Northern Michigan. And uh, his son was his son was uh, born when he was stationed out in New Jersey. So wow, they were all lighthouse kids. So your wife has also volunteered a lot for Glicker, right? Yes, a great yeah. deal. Mm-hmm. She's been on the board of directors since 1996. She's currently the recording secretary for the board of directors. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, she takes her about nine or 10 people out every year, members of her book club out to stay at the island last couple of weeks in July. Cool. The last time I went out was in 2021. And that was right after the... COVID pandemic, and I all remember uh, is weed whacking for, 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 th- for three days straight because Mother Nature takes over quick when the human presence is not around. I mean, sure. the weeds were tall. Yeah, I bet. I couldn't get over how tall they had gotten in just uh, a little over a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is a unique experience. You're stepping back into life in the 19th century, and it's uh, a very unique experience. I, I can't recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Uh, so a couple other personalities. First of all, we talked about Dick Mole quite a bit already, one of the uh, early uh, driving forces of, of Glicka. But later uh, came Terry Pepper, who uh, I certainly had a lot of correspondence with over the years. Very sad I didn't get to meet him. Sadly, Terry uh, passed away a couple of years ago too early. But uh, could you say a little bit about what Terry Pepper meant to uh, Glicka? I was corresponding with Terry for a couple of years before I finally met him in 2003. Uh, during that time, he was also driving as a vo- driving up from his home near Fort Wayne, Indiana, to volunteer at St. Helene, and uh, that's how he got more and more involved with the uh, with the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association. He became our first uh, full time executive director in 2006. Glick has always been a lean, mean volunteer operation, and he was really our first full-time employee. Mm-hmm. You know, all those years after Dick never took the salary, he was a volunteer all the years he was there. We had a couple of part-timers that were uh, uh, employed in the gift shop. And even today, we only have two full-time employees and a couple of part-timers. Terry, though, was an extremely talented, intelligent, dedicated researcher and historian, excellent writer, excellent public speaker, much more of a people person than I will ever be. Glick, uh, uh, in cooperation with Shepler's Ferry Service in the Straits of Mackinac, which is the premier ferry service up there, uh, narrated their lighthouse cruises. So since 1999, we've had an operating agreement with Shepler's Ferry to provide the narration for their eastbound and westbound lighthouse cruises in the Straits of Mackinac. Mm-hmm. Terry did that with gusto. He loved uh, he he loved uh, he loved every one of those uh, interacting with people on every one of those cruises. And uh, 
and giving all the history and backstories and all the local sites on those cruises. Speaking of those lighthouse cruises, I was looking at the current schedule. There are 26, uh, 26 of them uh, scheduled this year, starting June 6th, eastbound and westbound. Five or seven of them are night cruises. And uh, a couple of them are extended cruises that extend a little farther to the east and a little farther to the west to take in a few more lighthouses at additional expense and time uh, yeah. for people. As far as viewing lighthouses offshore on a boat, they're the best bang for your buck that you, you can find anywhere. Just to add to that, the U.S. Lighthouse Society is doing a Northern Lake Michigan tour in July, and there will be a cruise with Shepplers, the Western tour including some lighthouses that have been mentioned today, including St. Helene. That, so that's happening in July. I've uh, had a hand in putting the itinerary together for that tour. Not 100% sure yet that I'll be on the tour. I hope I will be because I haven't seen those uh, lighthouses right around there. So um, really, really hoping well, to be I'll on that. I have to that. say, uh, Terry, Terry organized. Uh, Terry was really good at putting together these uh, Lake Michigan excursions. We call them excursions. They're, they're offshore boat, lighthouse boat trips. Uh, but because of duties in the office, he couldn't get away to narrate them. So Jennifer and I narrated a week-long boat cruise on, on the southern end of Lake Michigan in 2013. And then Terry again organized one for the northern Lake Michigan, a couple of them, I think. And we uh, we narrated the one on northern Lake Michigan in 2017. Terry was an, enor- was a, an enormous personality, and uh, we still miss him. Mm-hmm. I always enjoyed corresponding with him over the years. And look, I was hoping to meet him in a trip to Michigan a couple of years ago. Sadly, uh, that didn't work out. But um, we've mentioned, uh, you've talked a bit about the Sheboygan River uh, front range light, which is uh, cared for by Glicka. Could you say a little bit more about that? What uh, the organization does there? Is there a volunteer program there for that? There is a volunteer program there. The Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association obtained... uh, the Sheboygan River Front Range Light in 2004 via the NHLPA. At the time, it was a bit of empire building on the part of Dick Mole because we, a lot of us were kind of shocked at, what are you doing? We're taking out a whole other lighthouse and we're still working on St. Helene. Progress has been slow there, but it's picking up now because so much of the work that needed to be done is work that does not show. We were waiting for years for the Coast Guard or their companies to come in and remediate the environmental contamination around the lighthouse, that a lot of work had to be done repairing the foundation of the lighthouse. And uh, so a lot of work that has been done is the kind of work that does not show. There has been a volunteer program there for quite a few years. You can sign up via our website. Uh, You have to keep the lighthouse open uh, Thursday through Sunday every week. And as part of your duties there, operating the gift shop and conducting tours, Included in the tours is the tour of the Sheboygan Crib Light, which is located a short distance away and is owned by the city of Sheboygan. Yeah. Sheboygan Riverfront Range, I want to add, is still an activated navigation. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it is uh, it's still an activated navigation. And you mentioned a moment ago the NHLPA, just for people who might be wondering, that's the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act of 2000, under which quite a few lighthouses have been transferred mostly to nonprofits and other entities over the years. Let me ask you, and this is for any of you, uh, does the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association hold other public events that we haven't talked about yet? Anything you want to mention in that line? Well, like we said, the Keeper Program at both and at St. Mm-hmm. Elaine, um, 
we said that there were some chores that they could do, but there's plenty of time to hike our trails because we have trails that goes all the way around the island. We have kayaks out there. You can swim, photograph, watch out our big screen TV, which is our boathouse door. It's what we call it. <laughs> and you get the nature channel, spider wrestling, the bridge channel, freighter channel, firework channel. We have lots of channels out there. And then you can also read, relax, nap. <laughs> that's my favorite. Yeah, I know. Well, that's yeah. why people love coming out. Sleepy and, and, Island. And the island is 99% of the island is owned by a little Travers Conservancy. So it's a nature preserve. So when you're out there, you're basically just out there with the people that you're out there with. It is, like Wayne said, very rewarding. Um, you get just a sense of, uh, you know, that you've done something and you're helping. You know, you, you made, made it a part of something. And one of the unique things that, that, that Dick Mole always did um, when the Boy Scouts are out there working, like when they built the boathouse, he, he allowed the, the kids to, to put their initials underneath the floor. And so, so like uh, a friend of mine that was, he's passed now, but many years we would build a bench every summer, a bench of different designs. And so you'd put your initials with a magic marker on the bottom in the year. And so you know, to this day, you know, you can turn something over and find your initials and say, oh, I built that in 2003. So it's just, it's, it's just a kind of a neat, you know, thing. It just gives you that ownership kind of everybody, everybody wants to have a part of it, you know, and you are a part of it. So. Yeah. Besides the keeper program, Wayne touched about our day trips, our St. Elaine experiences that happen Mondays and Wednesdays. We leave out of Mackinac City at two o'clock, return about six o'clock. You get a tour. You get time to take photos and mosey around. Um, we have a photography workshop. We have a yoga retreat. Um, we have a day that we call Learn About the Great Stories with Rick Mixter in the Straits of Mackinac. And then we have our anniversary and our St. Mary's cruise. So we have a quite a busy summer, especially at St. Elaine. I guess you do. It all sounds sounds great to me. So you've mentioned the website uh, before. Uh, is that the best way for people to become members or donate to Glicka? Yeah. There are different levels of membership available. They're all explained, and the applications are online on the uh, on the website, uh, glka.org. Mm -hmm. uh, we're always looking for volunteers because, frankly, uh, once they're restored, once the lighthouse is restored, it's never it's never finished because there's always something else to do. And Mother Nature is unrelenting. So any building, an old building in the marine environment is going to require constant attention. The major work is done, but it's never an, it's a never ending endeavor. And uh, for also on our website, uh, my wife's writing me notes here. <laughs> we have webcams. We have webcams on both the uh, Sheboygan Riverfront Range Light looking up and down the river there. Mm -hmm. And I think we have three webcams online at St. Helene. And uh, one of the most interesting things at St. Helene every year is the family of eagles that nest nearby the lighthouse. And uh, people watch eagerly the, the progress of the offspring there every year. I'm glad you said that because I meant to ask you about wildlife on the island. So you got bald eagles. What any other interesting wildlife there? Coyote. Yeah, we got some coyotes. We see them on the camera. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. you hear them at night. Um, but snowshoe hare, no deer. Well, we've had a deer. Well, we've seen one deer once, and so an otter. I've seen a, a lake otter on occasion. 
Um, but snakes, lots of snakes, but but non-poisonous snakes. Okay, we that's good. One poisonous snake in Michigan, and they're not present. And ninety-nine percent of our snakes are are garter snakes, so they're yeah they're harmless. But boy, it, you know, there's a lot of them. <laughs> you get say. a lot of in the spring. You get a lot of the little ones, the the young ones. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they like to uh, they like the cement. They go underneath the, the cement. You know, could it's a heat sink for the warmth and. The, so they go down underneath there at night and come out in the morning. And yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny watching them poke their heads out of the cracks of the sidewalks first thing in the morning, looking around to catch the rays. It's uh, <laughs> they're they're right there to greet you in the morning. Yeah, I've seen a similar thing at uh, Whitehead Island in Penobscot Bay in Maine has lots and lots of garter snakes. I've learned when I, I've stayed out there for weekends several times and. Uh, they're all over the the rocks, and they come out from between the rocks. Very similar to what you're talking about. I, it's I think, very important to emphasize the people who are afraid of snakes. They don't bother you. Right, right. Oh, they're totally they, harmless. They, they are harmless. They don't bother you. You make a little noise, they'll scurry off. Yeah, they yeah. Go, they go away as fast as you you go to them. So yeah. Personally, I'm I always enjoy seeing them, but I'm I'm glad to hear there's no poisonous snakes there. No, no poisonous snakes. Yeah. So I have a final question for all of you, and this is of course for bonus points. All right. So get your number two pencil sharpened. I'm going to start with Wayne here. Uh, Wayne, what has been your favorite thing? And to some degree, you've probably all answered this uh, somewhat already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Wayne, what has been your favorite thing about your years of involvement with the Lighthouses of the Great Lakes? Well, I thought you were going to say Glicka, because my wife would say meeting and marrying her was the highlight. <laughs> well, it could be uh, with Glicka, uh, maybe in a broader sense, just your association with the Lighthouses. Uh, as far as, you know... I've always maintained, even though I'm involved with the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Associate, I've always maintained an overview of what's going on all around the Great Lakes, including Canada. I, I really see my role as being a uh, chronicler at this point because I've been to these places before there were any restoration efforts. I try to get out while they're, they're going on and then document what happened after the fact. But uh, the main thing for me has been meeting so many other people from all walks of life, all passionately interested in preserving our lighthouses on the Great Lakes. Mm -hmm. The sentiment is the same everywhere you go with these groups. Well, that makes sense to me. So, Michelle and Mark, what have you enjoyed most about volunteering for all these? And how many, start that by telling me how many years it's been that you've been volunteering for, for Glicka. And what have you enjoyed most about it? Michelle always remembers. I was started in 2000. Right? 1999. 1999. Yeah, I can't remember that. So, so uh, yeah, almost 25 years. Uh, sunrises. I love the sunrises there in the boathouse in the morning. Um, I try not to ever miss them. Uh, they're just, it's wonderful. The sun comes up and it's just beautiful, especially the, the pre-dawn sunrise when the, when the, everything gets starting to get colorful. So, um, that's that's my favorite part. I've always got up early, and that's what I enjoy. I've been there for 27 years, and um, I guess the most satisfying thing is being involved in preserving history so others can enjoy it and visit St. Elaine. Um, as Alice said with my students, you have to touch history to really appreciate it. And I love giving the tours and educating people. We brought up a lot of my old teaching materials and we set them up in the boathouse so I can help educate people with lighthouses and maritime history and the Great Lakes. 
I really enjoyed when we did the workshops there and taught teachers because I enjoy teaching. I guess that's my biggest thing and meeting people and having them learn to appreciate what the four of us really enjoy. Yeah. I love that, that phrase. You have to touch history to, to experience it. I, uh, that certainly applies to lighthouses. I think that's, that's great. Very, very true. So uh, Michelle and Mark and Wayne, I, I hope we can do this again sometime because there's so much to talk about. And uh, I refer people again to the Glico website, glico.org, to learn more about all these events that are happening this year. And uh, I hope maybe I'll get to see you out there in July. Uh, wave to us. Wave to us, yeah. <laughs> yeah, wave to you from the boat. Again, I'm hoping yeah, I go on the U.S. Work. Lighthouse Society tour that, that month. You're in Michigan. But, we can make it work some other time, too. So Yeah, yeah. I was out there in a different part of Michigan in the UP uh, last year, uh, but there's a lot more for me to see. So I, I hope to get back to your, your neck of the woods. Okay. So thank you so much to all three of you. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. You can get more information on the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association and learn about their tours and other events at glka.org. There are also Facebook pages for Glicka and for the St. Helene Island Light Station. Before we sign off today, how about we give a few interesting facts about the Great Lakes. First, the Great Lakes are the largest freshwater system in the world. The five Great Lakes, Superior, Huron, Michigan, Erie, and Ontario, span a total surface area of 94,600 square miles. Lake Superior is the largest freshwater lake in the world by surface area with nearly 32,000 square miles. More than 20% of all the world's fresh water is in the Great Lakes. The Great Lakes region is the primary water source for more than 40 million people. I think that's enough facts for now. <laughs> but the point is that the Great Lakes are hugely important when you talk about the geography, commerce, and history of the United States. I look forward to many more podcast episodes in the future focusing on the lighthouses and history of the Great Lakes. Be sure to check out uslhs.org to learn more about the tours, the passport program, the research catalog, preservation grants, and all the things the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers. Becoming a member gets you the Society's quarterly journal, The Keeper's Log, among other benefits. It also supports this podcast and all the education and preservation missions of the Society. To anyone out there working to save lighthouses or any kind of history, thank you for everything you do. We're all on the same team. The author Shannon Alder once wrote, quote, don't ever let anyone put out your light because they are blinded by it, unquote. The next three episodes of this podcast will feature an extended interview with Barry Porter, a former lighthouse keeper in Newfoundland, Canada, who has a fantastic new book he's written called Adventures of a Lightkeeper. I found every second of the interview fascinating. Barry is a great storyteller. Until then, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thank you so much for listening and keep a good light. I'm gonna let it shine out in the dark. I'm gonna let it shine out in the dark. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine.